As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes adult film stars, and sportsmen drag racers. But today, we have a very special guest, Big Jed. I think there's a lot of cool things about getting the opportunity to, to share this hour, two, three, pretty much every week with you, Big Jed. But I think one of the coolest unsung, unsung things about hosting a podcast like ours is the ability to sit down with the movers, the shakers, the most successful racers in our venue. I mean, just this off season, we've got an opportunity to sit down with Jimmy Lewis. We've touched base with Jerry Emmons. Uh, we've got an interview coming up with Greg Stanfield. Today, we get to sit down with two-time, back-to-back, reigning NHRA Super Comp world champion at 25 years of age. Christopher Dodd. Yeah, Luke, it's super cool. As you said, you know, getting to be here on the podcast, I'm a fan of racing like anyone. And I, I hear names and I hear about specific people and what they accomplished. But when you don't know that person, it just, it, there's something missing. And when you sit down and you get to have an interview, like we just had with Christopher Dodd and you get to know this young man and, how much he puts into his racing and, and how much work it is and the battles that he's had and the challenges he's overcome and his family all around him. You just can't help but root for a guy like that. You know, I, I want to see this guy win the next seven super comp world championships. Not, and that's no offense to anyone in the class, but he's just a, just a very humble, wholesome champion and it was a really fun interview, and I know the listeners are going to enjoy it. Yeah, hundred percent. This is uh, this is a lot of fun. You'll, I, I think, it's kind of inevitable if you sit down for an hour long or close to an hour long conversation with with one of these standout performers. I think it's hard not to like just about anybody that we've had on the show. Obviously, that rings true for Christopher Dodd. And just to try to put this into perspective, I, I mean, I I mentioned back-to-back NHRA Super Comp champion, one of, if not the most competitive classes, top to bottom, in all of sportsman drag racing, right? And to do it at 25 years of age, I mean, I think it's, it feels inevitable at this point that Christopher's going to continue to stack accomplishments. 
I wouldn't think it's going to continue to come at this rate, right? Like can't be an annual thing, but it's fair to say that the future is, is if it's possible to be even brighter than the past, I, I think it, it's there for Christopher Dodd. And in saying all of that, I mean, if he were to wake up tomorrow and just be like, eh, I don't want to do this anymore. It's still like a hall of fame career. He's 25. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible that he's accomplished that Luke back-to-back championships in a, an extremely tough category. They're all hard, but super comp just has so much talent and so much experience and so much good equipment. And, you know, Christopher has overcome his opponents to the point where he's won back-to-back world championships and then to do it at his age where, you know, when I was his age, I wouldn't even have known what I'd just done. I mean, I wouldn't even realize what I'd just accomplished, but this is a guy who's dreamed about it and then it's going out and accomplishing it. It's a really cool story. And uh, I certainly, I thoroughly enjoyed it again. And, and I know that the listener is going to as well. All right. We've talked about Christopher Dodd enough. We'll let him do some of the talking. That's coming up next. But first, EJ North. All right. As advertised, um, you know, we've got an interview show coming up here. And rarely do you get an opportunity to interview someone with, with this specific accomplishment or credential. But we are fortunate to have not only a two-time NHRA Super Comp champion, but back-to-back NHRA Super Comp champion in Christopher Dodd. Christopher, we appreciate you giving us some time tonight on the podcast. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, great to have you. We, we certainly um, look forward to hearing your story and, and letting our listener hear your story. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk a lot of racing and we'll talk some stuff that are, that's non-racing, but for the most part, um, you're, you're a two-time back-to-back champion and you're a young guy, you know, you're, you don't, you haven't had as many birthdays as I've had or not even as many as Luke's had. Do you realize what kind of rare air you're living in right now? I, I do. Um, you know, sometimes I don't, it takes a while for it to really hit you and sink in. Um, I would say probably after the, you know, just winning the championship in 2020, I think it probably took a good month before it really soaked in on the accomplishment. And then, you know, to go back to back, that was just uh, incredible. And, you know, it just hits you at different times. You may be driving down the road and, and, you know, radios off or whatever. And it just, it hits you at different times on the, the accomplishment. And um, it, uh, it's pretty amazing. Back-to-back titles, particularly in the in the super comp category, because I, I think I think you and I are probably in agreement, Christopher. I don't know if it's a widespread agreement. I think it's the most competitive class in NHRA sportsman drag racing. I think the parity top to bottom, I don't know that there's another class that could that match it. Fletcher would argue with Sensei Stock Eliminator, and, and he may have a point. Uh, it just feels like everybody in every car in super comp can win. So to that point, you would think <clears throat> that what you've pulled off while obviously an unbelievable accomplishment, you would think it's really rare. And at the same time, you look back, there's it's 33 year history in super comp. It's been done four times. That seems like a big number, right? The company that you are in specifically though, that, that Jed alluded to, you are the fourth racer to do this. Could to go back to back in super comp. The other three, and this was actually the topic of, of I think one of your better performances on trivia time, big Jed. So, or, or I would tee it up for you again, but the list that you joined, Christopher, most recently, Gary Stinnett did this in 2010, 2011. Prior to that, Sean Langdon, back-to-back championships in 07 and 08. Prior to that, Scotty Richardson, who did it in 1993 and 1994. You join that list, Stinnett, Langdon, Richardson, Dodd. How does that resonate with you? I know that you are a, a student of this game for your life. Like when I say that out loud, how does that make you feel? It's uh, kind of unbelievable my name is on that list. You know, kind of growing up watching um, watching racing, you know, those guys have, you know, been at the, the 
top of sportsman drag racing, you know, since I've been, since I was a kid growing up watching it. So, you know, to join, to join them on that list is, uh, it's, it's hard to put into words, you know? Totally. I mean, that is, that is as elite as the company gets. And I, I was actually just kind of side note doing the research on this this morning. And what I, because I think I'd asked you when, when we had a conversation together on, on this is bracket racing elite around your back-to-back championships asked you, I'm like, do you know, are you the youngest to have done this? You're 25 now. Is that right? Correct. So I did a little bit of research. You are only a year younger than Langdon was when he did this. And Scotty still, and may forever hold the record. So Scotty actually won his first championship in 1991 at the age of 20. His back-to-back championships were in 93 and 94. So he was 23 at the end of that, right? 22 and 23. And just to put that domination in perspective, so Scotty won his first in 91 at 20, won again in 93, won again in 94. And you ask yourself, well, what happened in 92? Edmund won. <laughs> it's pretty crazy when you think about it. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely keeping that in the family. Obviously, Christopher, that's that's your most recent accomplishments, back to back world championships there in Supercomp. But let's back up a little bit and talk more racing history, your specific racing history. Tell us a little bit about that, about how you got started. And I know your father, Sean, was involved, but uh, tell us about your your beginning, if you will. Yeah, you bet. So I, I grew up at the racetrack like uh, like most of us did, and um, you know, uh, when I got when I was I guess seven years old, I got a junior, and you know, started putting it together and everything. And at eight is when I started racing, and we didn't go too much. Um, you know, my dad was still racing comp quite a bit at the time and we'd go probably four or five, six times a year. And then when I turned, I guess it was uh, 10 is kind of when my dad stepped back from racing and that's when we started hitting the junior dragsters pretty hard. And, um, you know, it just kind of progressed when I moved up to 790, I, I got a brand new car. And that's when it really kind of everything turned around and I started having quite a bit of success and, you know, just kind of kept on going with that until I was 18 and jumped in a big car and um, had, a you know, some fairly good success, I would think, for just, you know, hopping in a, in a big car for the first time. The first year out, uh, I raced IHRA a little bit and I think I finished second or third and quick rod and um you know i was pretty proud of that one couple races so you know it just um you know it's just steadily improved as the years went on what's your first memory chris in and around the sport not as even necessarily as a driver i feel like you've like like me like jed to some extent have, have been around this you know since being in the womb almost <laughs> I think my earliest, earliest memory is got to be, you know, going to the races, watching from the stands, watching Comp Eliminator. Um, you know, being, being too young, you couldn't ever get up on the starting line. So we'd always, uh, there'd be somebody, we'd have, you know, a group of friends or whatever, and we'd run up to the stands and, uh, and watch. But um, got to be watching from the stands. What track were those early days uh, spent? at uh christopher what where what part of the country was your beginning in division four area yes a lot of tough racing out there and obviously um you sharing this accomplishment the the back-to-back accomplishment with uh with scotty he's a he's obviously a legend from from division four so that might even make it a little more special your your junior career obviously went well, but you seem to advance in the sport at a very fast pace. Uh, as you mentioned, when you got into the big cars, things started going well. At what point in your racing did you decide, I want to be a, a super comp world champion. I'm going to pursue that dream. I think I've kind of always had that in mind, e- even in juniors. Um, 
I kind of looked at it. I didn't look at it as, you know, something I couldn't accomplish. I, I truly believed I could do it one day. And so, you know, I just kept working towards that and growing up, my dad actually, uh, before comp eliminator, he raised super comp and I just, I, I've really always liked super comp. And so, like I said, when I hopped out of the big car or hopped out of juniors, got into a big car, um, that was, we bought a dragster just a bracket race, super comp race. And we just, um, you know, just progressed from there. All right, Christopher, you just made me feel old. You talked about your father running super comp. Like that was in a past life. I, I'm, I know for a fact that I've staged beside your father in super comp. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> as I look back, like, let's, let's go. We'll get to this season, obviously, but let's let's backtrack to to 2020 and that first championship. That chase, as it wound down, ended up basically a, it was a three way battle between yourself, defending champion at that time, Ray Miller the third, bracket racing legend Troy Williams Jr. And as that kind of played out, like I I think you would even be willing to say like, hey, I was probably looked at as the underdog, right, or the the unknown of the three, certainly at that point juxtapose that to 2021 where there were so many big names atop the leaderboard i mean former world champions like john labuse ray ray gary stinnett the eisenhowers austin williams hunter Patton looked like he had a was a threat to to make a championship run at some point but now all of those guys really are gunning for you you go from the 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 complete hunter to having to be more of the hunted i don't know if that resonated with you but it's certainly the way that it looked from the outside <clears throat> just from your standpoint juxtapose that feeling pressure so much if there was any between 2020 and 2021 you know it's kind of funny to say but actually coming into 2021 after winning that championship it was it was almost, I came into 2021 more relaxed and which is kind of odd to say, but, you know, we have just accomplished something, you know, incredible. And, you know, it was just, the, the, it's like the pressure was off. And um, so anyway, we kind of just went out there to start the year, just to, just to go racing and have fun and won the first race out. And then I think it was three races in a row, just went to fourth round um it, it was just one of those things you think i'm going to do it i'm going to go get another win and and then you get shut down you know but uh but you know three races in a row after the win going to fourth round that was you know that was a pretty incredible start uh to the season then we kind of had a you know mid-season lull but um i would definitely say it was a runs were or races were tighter this year and certain everybody just you know tightened up just a little bit more i mean when you have a one on your hood scoop you can't fly under the radar so so you're chalking that up to uh, maybe a, a little more respect if you will in the other lane or or you know obviously gunning for the the reigning champ uh, so you're you're saying that they just threw a little more at you this year got a little more aggressive on you i think so um it's and you held up it's yeah. no different than kind of looking in the the other lane and you see a two-digit number you know what i mean you might just set up a little bit tighter um than what you you would typically um you know just just because you you think you need to you just you think you need it set up a little tighter yeah i definitely understand that thought but um you know what about in your lane did did you feel like you approached it any differently or did you continue to have the same strategy that you had in your, in your championship the year before? I think I had the same strategy. You know, I kind of, I don't want to say I stick to a certain game plan, but um, on a, if, if I can, I, you know, I like just, you know, setting up as tight as I can on the tree and if the car will do it and, and keep, you know, run the number, then, you know, set it up right around 90, a little under maybe, you know, for certain, certain scenarios. So I think I stuck to my, my typical game plan, but um, there was definitely rounds I set up tighter than, than probably, I was more 
comfortable with, but, um, you know, sometimes you just have to do that. I don't know. And I feel like from the outside, like your comfort level on the tree, if it made you uncomfortable, I, d- I think you were setting up tighter than anyone. Like I, we've talked about it before here on the show. Like I, I just, I think it's particularly rare in these categories, partially due to the nature of competition and how spread out it is partially due to the simple fact that you get one shot at the tree. There's no bump downs, anything like that. Like it's rare. You see anyone just string together double O after double O after double O after double O. And I don't mean to put the burden on your shoulders, but you've proven for really more than two years as capable or more capable of that than anyone. So when you say like, I was getting uncomfortable, I thought, my God, like I, you put five thousandths on top of that. I'd be uncomfortable, Christopher. So um, kudos to you on that. I do want to dig back a little bit more into kind of the, the contradiction, at least in your mind, between 2020 and, and 2021, because obviously back-to-back titles is really, really rare air. I feel like there was a, a, a point in your 2020 season where in really short order, you went from being on the radar, if you will, like even as late as mid-September, you know, I think we, we were talking about you on this show, like Christopher Dodd's got races left, you know, he could get hot, he could be a player. Within two weeks, you're in contention. And two weeks after that, you're the runaway champ, it's over. Like it, it was, you had obviously put yourself in position early in the season, but it was a late September run. I think it was the, the divisional event in Dallas, the national event in St. Louis, back to back. And then a few weeks after that, back to Dallas to win the national event, it's a done deal. You know, nobody's got a shot. And when we look ahead then a year to 2021, it's funny, like it was really about the same point on the calendar that ended up being the, the catalyst that, that puts you over the top for the championship, different scenario. Um, but again, we've got this wide variety in 2021 of, of really talented, you know, elite name racers at the top of the standings. And you go back to back uh, within like three days span with the semifinal finish at the, the Noble Divisional event. And then immediately from there to, to Dallas to run first the Houston Makeup National event, which was on a Tuesday or Wednesday, I believe. And you end up winning that. And ultimately, I don't think any of us thought at that time that it's over, right? Be- but that ended up being what put you over the top. Um, walk through, I guess, first off, that stretch. Because I know that that was, that's a lot of races in a brief period of time anyway, much less with the championship burden on your, on your shoulders. And it, if I remember correctly, you guys were dealing with a lot beyond what's even known at that point. Correct. So typically, you know, our season kind of, you know, kind of mimicked each other as far as 2020 and 2021, because those are, you know, our typical races. We hit, you know, we have a handful of races in the spring. We kind of take a break through the summer months. We might go to Topeka here and there, but uh, typically we're off, you know, for a few months there. And then it seems like at the end of the year, it's like, you know, four or five races, you know, in a, in a sh- very short time. So, uh, but yes, no, this year it was, so you were, you were there in, in St. Louis and, you know, we wake up, Saturday morning, I guess it was for first round. And we found a, we had a, just a freak deal where the throttle stop wasn't closing all the way. And you could just sit there and literally move it back and forth. And so we ended up, it was a piece of trash that got in the line or something. And so, but anyways, we're, we're thrashing before first round where we're replacing air cylinders and, uh, and bleed screws and trying to get it back to what we had. And we get up there and first round and the ignition box goes out. So it wouldn't rev above 4,000 RPMs. So we come back around and we didn't know it was an ignition box at that time. So we're, we're thinking maybe it was a converter or something. Maybe we messed something up while we were, you know, stalling it up in the pits, making sure the throttle stop stuff was fixed. So it was a mad thrash to get a converter change before second round. Cause they were hot lapping us that morning. But, uh, so on our way home from St. Louis, um, a PTO pump on the motorhome uh, started leaking and there was a cloud of smoke behind us. We thought either the motorhome or trailer was on fire. And uh, so that, that, wasn't a, that wasn't a good trip home. We get you know, pulled over safely on the side of the road and ended up having to have the motorhome towed. Granted, we're supposed to be in 
noble in like three or four days for our divisional race. So uh, we call up my mom. She comes up and brings the dually up to pick us up. We bring the stacker trailer home. You know, we're in the middle of Oklahoma, so we got a five-hour drive home with a stacker trailer behind the dually, and this thing is packed. <laughs> So it wasn't the best, uh, wasn't the best scenario. Um, but anyways, you know, we, uh, we get the trailer unloaded, get the car serviced up and get back to Noble. And uh, we, we had some success there. Motorhome still wasn't done. And you, you realize all the stuff that you actually do load up in the motorhome instead of the trailer when you have both of them. So we're missing the weather station pole, the, you know, jack stands, the jacks, the whole bit. So just racing with the stuff that you typically have and you just, uh, you know, you forgot because you left you, that you left it behind. And then after Noble, um, you know, that Tuesday, um, like you said, was the Houston National and my dad was having back surgery that day. So I take the, the dually and stacker down and a buddy came out to, uh, to help me. And, uh, and then we won the Houston Nationals. So they, it was definitely uh, an interesting couple weeks there. Yeah, sounds like a very interesting. Had your, your anxiety up a little bit, nerves. And obviously there was a, you know, a, a, a time and financial impact to that failure on the motorhome and all that stuff just weighs against you so much when you're, when you're out there fighting for – for the championship and chasing those points. And at any point, did you, did you just feel like, Oh, well, you know, it's, it's just not going to be my year or, you know, did you say no big deal? We're going to pursue through this and, and still accomplish our goal. What was your thought process when everything around you is going wrong, Chris? I would say going into Noble, um, you know, the motorhome was supposed to be fixed. So we drove up there to pick it up. And we get there and they said, we just started it up and uh, it started leaking oil again after the, after the repair. So after that, it was kind of like, maybe this is just, you know, maybe we should call it a year. And uh, like I said, we were already there in Noble. So we stayed the weekend, you know, turned out really good, you know, runnered up in uh, super stock and then semifinal and super comp. So it was a great weekend. And um you know, that really, that was a, a good shot of uh, confidence and motivation there leading up to, you know, the rest of the season. Is there something to, now that you look back and, and I don't, I don't think I had put it together until I looked at your two season side by side. Is there something to that time of the calendar, that late September, early October? Is there something to, um, I feel like just from the outside, it feels like you have success pretty much everywhere you go, but what stands out to me is St. Louis and Dallas. Is it just the fact that those races fall at that point in the calendar and that, that seems to, to jive with you? What is it about that those two runs relatively at the same spot in the calendar, back-to-back -back seasons that kind of catapulted you to both championships? I wish I knew because I'd, right? <laughs> I'd try to, you know, try to copy that at, at uh, some more races, but I've, you know, I've just always, for some reason, really liked St. Louis and like you, you have those tracks where you just drive in and you're like, for whatever reason that this is, you know, this is one of my favorite places. And that's for me, that's St. Louis and, you know, Dallas the same way, you know, it's home and I've been there so many times. So, um, and it's nice, you know, they're, they're not back to back weekends. They, they typically have, you know, one or two weekends between them. So just enough to kind of give you a break. Um, but, I, you know, kind of one thing I was thinking at one point was, you know, we race in the beginning of the year. We kind of have a couple months off. By the time, you know, St. Louis comes around, we're really looking forward to getting racing again. And so, you know, that maybe that's something to it. Yeah, just a little it, bit of things being fresh again. Yes. You, you obviously division four is your home and it's where you grew up and it's where your heart is. Is there a little extra sense of pride, Christopher, in the fact that division four, including my co-host here, just dominated the, the national championships this year? I mean, it's got to feel good knowing people that, that you've watched race all of your life 
and people that you've staged up with all of your racing life accomplished these incredible championships this year within one division. I mean, that's you guys have proven that. I mean, the, the talent obviously is in every division, but you guys have proven that that's a that's a extremely difficult division to compete in. And you do that week in, week out, and then go out on the national scene and win it. That, that's got to be a little extra pride in that. It is. And um, I care how many how many Division Four champions were there? There was, I think, four, if I remember right. No, it was every sportsman class, with the exception of comp, right? Or I know uh, not in top dragster. So we had Jimmy and top sportsman, Stanfield and Superstock, Emmons yep. and Stock, you and me, five. so five. Yep. Yep. I forgot about Jimmy. I was thinking it was five or six, and and then we had Stanfield, and yep. So. Yeah, no, it is. It's super. Uh, I mean, the success that Division Four had. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, it's unbelievable, really. I mean, that we, you know, everybody from Division Four, you know, and and even in those other classes, we had a shot at at uh, at having a Division Four champion. So, you no, know, it is. It's it's neat, and we all got. Uh, it would have been neat if we all had a you know a banquet. Um, course that got postponed with covid but uh that'd have been a heck of a party <laughs> yeah you division four boys are rowdy uh, that could have got a little rough <laughs> maybe that's the reason they canceled it and just blamed it on covid <laughs> to that point christopher i i don't know if you've i don't know if you've put a ton of thought into this and and perhaps it's to some extent like you haven't gone through it so maybe you don't completely know what you're missing but how robbed do you feel like you back to back NHRA super comp world champion and you haven't got the typical championship experience or the fanfare. Like I think one of the coolest things about it is the big banquet in Hollywood. Like I, I you don't seem like the type that's just completely enamored with that type of thing anyway, but I'm telling you, it's cool. And to win not one, but two championships now and not get to experience really any of that. I'm just, I'm curious if you have any thoughts to that or if that even crosses your mind. I think the banquet would be, would be cool, but I'm not big on speeches. So that, that part doesn't hurt my feelings at all. <laughs> my dad would love to see me get up on stage and have to give a speech, but, uh, but no, that doesn't hurt my feelings at all. The, as far as not having to give a speech, I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you would rather win 10 without a banquet as always to one with a banquet. I think so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for, you know, I'd like to do the banquet thing once, but there wasn't much hesitation there. Yep. I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> Christopher, when we go back, like your 2020 championship, obviously there was a, there was some contention there, but as the season wound down, like I say, the, the run that you went on there, you put up 660 points, like that wins the, the super comp championship 19 years out of 20. If not, it, it, there may not be a, a score that high that's ever lost in super comp. We juxtapose that with 2021, your 582 point score, obviously enough to win the championship, a bit more pedestrian, not low, like that would have put you seven points behind Troy Williams Jr. in 2020, right? Just for, for reference sake. But the feel as the season wound down had to be considerably different. You're, you don't get to sit back and not pay attention to what goes on in Vegas or Pomona. This year, you're at, you're at Vegas, right? Contending, trying to add to your score. What was it like as the season wound down, specifically as the season went on to Pomona? You're back home watching a racer or two that have, a, have an opportunity to pass you. You can't do anything about it at that point. That's not a position you were in a year ago. No, it wasn't. And, you know, we won that, I won the Dallas national. And so that put us up to six sixty something. And, you know, people were congratulating, you know, all the techs that, you know, thinking you won the world and, uh, we're, you know, it wasn't over yet. There was a couple people that had a, still had a shot, but it was a long shot. Um, then after, I think it was Houston national after that, it was over. But no, this year going down to the last race, that was a uh, that was a stressful three weeks, and then Vegas didn't go our way at all. I I love the track, but I just have no luck out there. And so, anyways, we we just we 
circled back, came home. And I remember, I guess it was Saturday morning, um, you know, they getting going in Pomona, you know, for first round and everything. And I was, I'm, I'm at work and just nervous as can be. I'm like, I can't imagine what Eisenhower's are feeling. <laughs> no doubt. So where, where were you when you knew that it was over? How did you find out? Were you watching online? I was, I actually just pulled into the office and uh, my dad had it up on his computer. He was watching all day. And um, so we sat down to watch as the first pair of uh, super comp was rolling in the water. I sat down in the office and so we were watching and, you know, when, uh, when the wind light came on in the other lane, my dad and I, I mean, I could still see the look on his face. Both of our jaws dropped. And, and then there was a brief moment of, you know, what just happened. And then, you know, then the, then the excitement. Yeah. Cause I feel like there's an element of like, you know, the odds are in your favor. Devin had to make the final or win the race, right? I believe. Yes. Yeah. So like, that's a pretty long shot, but at the same time, you don't want to allow yourself to have expectations because obviously he's capable and you don't want to set yourself up for like the lowest of low, right. When it happens. So you, you, you almost, I don't, I don't want to speak for you, but it's almost like you expect him to go all the way and win. So when he Absolutely. doesn't, it's almost like a surprise, right? Absolutely. And, you know, he's been doing great all season. I think he had three or four wins on the season. So absolutely can do it. It's just, was it going to be his day? And they leave the starting line and I'm watching on the computer. And I said, you know, Eisenhower left first. And, and so, you know, you're, they're, they're going down track. And like I said, when the wind light came on in the other lane, it was just disbelief. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that was super exciting for you, especially when it's out of your hands and you're just a, a spectator like everyone else, but obviously a vested interest in the outcome. But looking back through the season, was there a turning point, Christopher, that you said, yeah, this was the moment. This is what, this is what put me in position for that championship or a performance within the year, within the points chase that you're most proud of that, that you feel like really catapulted you forward? I think the turning point of the season was probably a noble. Um, coming into that race, I think we were all kind of bunched up uh, together in points. I think Bob Prose was just getting going on his streak of I mean, back to back to back wins. I mean, it was crazy there for a while. I figured he was, it looked like he was about to take, take off with the, with the points lead. And, you know, I remember, I can't remember who I was talking to, but I said, you know, nobody's really gotten hot this season. And so anyways, it was kind of wide open at that point. And, the semifinals, I still kind of kicked myself. I had a starting, quite a bit of starting line advantage and just went down there and was sitting there pacing and got fourth out behind at the finish line. It was one of those things, should have been in the final round, but uh, it, was, it was kind of enough to, um, I don't want to say it get, gets you mad, but it kind of gets you fired up, motivated. And then, you know, having Houston just a couple days later, I came into Houston driving really, really good. So um, I think it all kind of worked out good, but uh, it would have still been nice to get that noble win. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, it's kind of instructive to look back at that too, Christopher, because it's two days removed. Like, I think it's very easy to go through that situation at noble and around that you feel like obviously you should have won, right? And given the stakes, especially, I mean, that's a big point swing. You're fighting for a world championship. Like it would be easy to, to really get hung up on that. Right. Do you think the fact that that Houston race was only two days later, do you think that played in your favor? Or do you think you'd have been able to kind of compartmentalize and, and, and use that as motivation and fire regardless? I think it played in my favor. Um, I don't really remember ever being that down on a particular round. After, other than, you know, that, uh, that round, the semifinal, I remember just taking, you know, 20 minutes just to kind of go through the day. Cause you know, a few minutes before that round turned it a couple thou red in the final of Superstock. So, I mean, it was a, it was a rough 20 minutes there, but, uh, but I was, you know, like I said, I was, 
I was pretty down on that, you know, that 30 minutes, but, you know, like I said, it kind of, it kind of fired me up and got me, I, I was ready to redeem myself um, after that. You don't seem like, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You don't seem like one to dwell. Like you seem, at least from the outside, very even keel, like I'm going to go do what I can do and it's going to work a significant percentage of the time. And when it doesn't work, that's fine. Like we'll just keep rolling. Is that an accurate way to describe your mindset or is there more going on behind the scenes? No, that's pretty, that's pretty accurate. You know, if I put up a run that I think should, you know, if I make a run that I think should win and it doesn't win, okay, well, you know, I, I got beat. I don't like it, but it, it just happened. Right. But when you make a mistake, um, when you make a mistake, that's, you know, that's kind of, it sticks with you a little bit. And that's kind of when I'm more upset on my performance. So, um, but try to keep a pretty even, you know, throughout the pretty even mindset, you know, throughout the whole, whole event. All right. So the million dollar question, you're in elite company as a back to back super comp world champion. We discussed that to lead things off. No one's ever gone for the three-peat. Talk, tell me about your plans, your outlook on 2022. I'll be racing super comp, uh, <laughs> schedule, but uh, just going to go, you know, just like we had, for, you know, every year, just going out there to have fun and, you know, try to try to get as many wins as we can. Um, that would be awesome if we could pull that off. But, you know, we've had a, a great two years here. And so, you know, it's going to be uh, it'll be an interesting year, though. I'm going to I got a new comp car, actually. I'm going to race comp next year, too. So um we'll be nice what is it we're gonna i'm gonna it's gonna be a c uh c econel dragster and uh so 180 miles an hour just what i'm doing in super cop so at least i'm comfortable with that part but uh it should it's gonna be should be competitive so what is that is that some kind of wild small block or is that a, a six cylinder what is that what what powers that unit it's a it's a V8 small block, so it's but it's uh, like six hundred or sorry, three hundred and sixteen cubic inches. I'm used to super cop. You just <laughs> you just flagged yourself for automatic teardown, Christian. Yeah. <laughs> but good catch. But, but we, we got <laughs> no. It's a uh, three sixteen wedge motor, and uh, it it should it should be a fun ride. Now that. Uh that will require quite a bit of attention when it's not on the racetrack. Um, how do you plan to, to juggle all that and keep your, your super comp focus? Well, right now, my dad and I, when we go racing, it's just the two of us and we take, he races comp, I race super stock and super comp. And so the two of us running three cars, it's, it's a lot, especially when we're all, when we're going rounds at all of them. But We've gotten to the point where we get our maintenance done at home. When we get to the track there, we race the same tracks year after year. So we can hit the setup pretty darn close. So if we do have to change something at the track, it's usually just once we're not, you know, changing everything between rounds. So, you know, running three cars though, we've gotten to the point where, okay, when it comes, you know, time to get up to the staging lanes before we go kind of take, 10 minutes, look at, you know, look at log books, get a game plan for that car and forget the other two cars, um, you know, while we're up there running that class. So that's helped quite a bit because we used to be work on the comp car until the very last second, you know, hop in the super comp car, super stock car, get up there, make a run and get back and get back to work on the comp car. But now we've kind of set aside time for each car. And uh, I think it's helped quite a bit. Well, I got to know that's 316 inches. It's big power, obviously going to go 180 mile an hour. What does this thing leave at? And what do you shift at? Uh, RPMs I wise. Yet, but I've, I've heard, you know, 50, 53, 5,400 RPMs on the leave. And it'll probably shift around 10 grand. So maybe, oh. under, maybe a little over. So we'll see. Good stuff. He didn't start her there. <laughs> but, 
that came out real fluid. Yep, ten grand. That's <laughs> what we shift to that. Um, no, to to that point, Christopher. Like I, I thought this was instructive when we talked with Jimmy Lewis because Jimmy's running top sportsman. It's a it's a two person team. It's him and his wife Phyllis. And from the outside, that looks like a lot. Right. I mean, to, to keep up with a with a, a car of that nature, the upkeep that comes up with it and not to obviously Jimmy's living proof that it can be done. But you see a lot of teams of six people to, to do that amount of work. And I'm constantly amazed when I drive past your period, Christopher, knowing that it's just you and your dad in three cars and two that are let's be honest, like pretty labor intensive, right? They're not your typical bracket cars. Um, and I don't know that that's going to change much. Is, is your, is your comp car the combination from your superstock car or is it different? No, it's different. Okay. So I, I don't know if that's going to be necessarily more work or less, but similar, I would assume you talked about the, the keys of being prepared coming in. How do you compartmentalize mentally, if nothing else, all that you've got going on at the track on a, on a, on a given day? I think when we get up in the morning, we typically will get the super comp car, super stock car taken care of, get it serviced, battery chargers, get, get it going, um, get it fueled up. And then we shift and we look for, look to prepare for comp. And that, whether that be looking at the weather, seeing if we have right, you know, right converter in it, right gearing, um, and so forth. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, lot of planning like that and a lot of, um, notes that you kind of got to look at and kind of remember what combination did we run. And so we have different size tires. So if we need a little more gear, a little less gear, we, we bring tires instead of having to pull a, pull a rear end, you know what I mean? So that kind of saves us some time too, makes it a little easier on us. Um, but like I said, once we get, uh, once that class is coming up, we, all of our focus shifts to whatever car that is. And it's, it's my dad and I, so I, he takes care of the motors typically, and I take care of the rest of the car. And we've done that so many times that, you just have a certain routine. Like it's almost to the point when someone comes and helps us, you're almost like, okay, did this get done? Did this get done? Cause yeah. you know, nobody else is helping you. And we have our normal checklist of stuff that, you know, we typically do. So um, it's just, just getting into a routine and, and, you know, kind of don't deviate from that. And that exclusive focus on the car that's next is that, typically both of you like okay we're both going to turn our mindset to to the super comp car like it seems like you do most everything as a team is that fair it is uh every once in a while like we have to change a valve spring i might have to go up to the lanes by myself or something um and, and kind of get situated for that car you know for that round and then then my dad will drive up there and we'll kind of talk it over and get it and finalize our game plan for that but uh, most of the time it's you know we're we're doing everything together so but there is every once in a while that uh, one of us has to stay behind and get something done while, while we're just waiting in the lanes. Well, it sounds like a true team effort. And obviously, whatever formula you guys are using, Christopher, it seems to be working extremely well for you. Back-to-back -back national championships and super comp. And, you know, obviously, you're going to pursue a, a potential extremely phenomenal accomplishment and going for a third one and we wish you all the success in the world man it's been fun watching your your last two years um if i could offer you any advice i would just say go ahead and get off to a really fast start this year in 2022 so you can relax just a little <laughs> you you're kind of pegging the anxiety meter uh, a little bit in super comp but getting it done nonetheless but Man, we're wishing you a ton of success, hoping to see you uh, accomplish that goal again and nobody more deserving than you and go out there with the right mindset and get it done, man. I appreciate that.
We, uh, we like to present the opportunity here. Obviously, you talked a, you've talked a lot about your father and, and the, the, the family operation that you guys run. Is there anyone else that you want to shed light on for the role that they've played in your success? You bet. Um, so like I said, um, it, is, it is a family um, racing program. So like my dad and I are typically the ones at the track, but you know, while we're at home, my brother and my mom are helping getting things ready, getting things cleaned up, ready to go to the racetrack and uh, keeping us somewhat organized. So, um, but companies that, you know, help out and, uh, you know, supply great products to us, uh, Rare Morrison on engines and um, A1 Performance transmissions and converters. And those are like in all the cars. <laughs> um that they they're great to work with. We've worked with them like a ton over the years. Uh, APD. Um, oh, I'm drawing a blank. Goodyear. I mean, there's just so many great companies that uh, that have that we've worked with over the years, and you know, it's it's been great. I know all those companies are super proud to work with you. Uh, not trying to highlight any one over the other, but. Uh, the classes you run are kind of rough on torque converters. So uh, <laughs> whoever's supplying you, those should be super proud if they're helping lead you to championships because you're running some pretty rough stuff there that uh, that beats on torque converters pretty hard. But nonetheless, um, really good list of folks. I know they're all proud of you, Christopher, as we are. We uh, certainly enjoyed the time with you tonight, getting to know you a little bit better and hearing your story and how interesting and, and different both years were of your championships. And um, look forward to talking to you about the next one, whenever it is, whether it's 2022 or beyond. We, we can't wait to sit down and chat with you about that one as well. Looking forward to it. Thank you guys for having me on. All right, man. We appreciate your time. Have a great night, Christopher. You too. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.